If I told you you were responsible for coordinating the annual review of your organization's cyber insurance policy, you might scream and run for the door. It's been a hard market, but it seems like all of that is changing. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 82 as the Resilience Think Tank presents the Resilient Journey podcast. I'm your host, Mark Hoffman, and today I'm joined again by Caitlin Upchurch, cyber and technology practice leader for Lockton. In this week's episode, Caitlin talks about the shift that's occurring in the cyber insurance market, and we talk about how organizations have improved their response to a cyber incident. And we look at the hoops that organizations have to jump through just to get insurance from two completely different perspectives. And you'll have to listen to find out which one of us is right. The Resilient Journey is now ad-free, so be sure to give some love to the Resilience Think Tank. Caitlin, welcome back to the podcast. For those that might remember, you were the very first guest on the podcast way back in September of 2021, like 18 months ago, 19 months ago. I uh, can't believe it's been that long. We've always talked about having you back, and here you are. So tell everybody what you've been up to. Yeah, and thanks so much for having me back. Um, I really enjoyed my experience on the podcast. Um, you know, something that I would love to do more of, quite frankly. It's a good it's a good way to connect with folks just in a, a quick manner when people are on the go and they want to listen to something and get some quick information. So, so thanks for having me back then, and congratulations on all your success with it. And I'm really excited to, to be here 18 months later. Yeah, no. And, and I mentioned to you before we started that it's uh, a popular topic. Um, and uh, you're in a new role though, since you were here last time, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. So a, a little bit of the same, but, um, in a different context, as I like to say. So I did join a different organization back in October. Um, I'm now working for the locked in companies, um, privately held insurance broker based out of Kansas City. I sit here in Dallas. And so my responsibilities are for the Texas series or Texas operations, cyber and technology and practice for the company. Um, so essentially, I'm continuing my work to help clients with um, insurance and, and risk management challenges with respect to cybersecurity and technology risk. So it's been it's been really exciting and, and really good to get to expand my network to um, different organizations and different folks that I haven't worked with before. Um, also finding at the same time that some of the experiences that many of our clients have been dealing with over the past two years are, are not too dissimilar from other conversations I've had with other clients and organizations along the way. So basically everybody's kind of been in the same boat, you know, for the past couple of years going through the same challenges. So um, continuing that work, which I'm really excited to do here at Locked In. Yeah, I appreciate uh, what you're doing. It's very, very interesting. And we're going to talk about exactly that. You recently reached out to me because you said you're seeing a fairly drastic shift when it comes to cyber insurance. What What's going on? What are you seeing? Yeah. And the reason I wanted to reach out to you, Mark, is because I think that this change has been happening so fast. And a lot of the, the spillover effect from the challenges we had with cyber insurance procurement in the last 18 months are still, you know, hanging over a lot of people's heads. I mean, certainly it was hanging over my head when I came into this new role. Um, the year end of end of 2020, all of 2021 and a lot of 2022 were just really, really difficult for organizations to navigate how to ensure their cybersecurity risk. And as I look at it now, it is 
the path is a lot clearer um, in order to not just get cyber insurance, but understand what it is that how the insurance companies are behaving and kind of what they're looking for and what the metrics are. And, and suddenly the pathway is, is a lot clearer. And I want to make sure that we're getting that message out um, to people because a lot of people still associate cyber insurance and procurement of cyber insurance with a negative context because of the experiences that they were having during what we call the hard market. Um, so yeah, I, I can tell you a little bit about what we're seeing right now. So let's set context before we get too deep into what, what you're seeing. So several years ago, cyber insurance was relatively new. It was pretty easy to get, wasn't necessarily all that expensive and correct me if I'm wrong. So what we saw was an increase in ransomware and we saw people said, Hey, we have the insurance. We might as well use it. And so people were paying a significant amount of ransomware which was then costing insurance companies a boatload of money. Uh, and to correct that, insurance companies started raising the demands on companies to be better, to be more prepared, right? Do I have that right so far? Yeah, I think one good way to look at it is think about, I, I know we put a lot of things in life right now as pre-COVID and post-COVID or during COVID. So if we think about it in that context, Let's look at how organizations typically operated. So before the pandemic, most companies, now obviously there were some exceptions of companies that were um, working from home or had that hybrid workforce set up. But for the most part, it was a very traditional, you know, come to the office nine to five environment for a lot of traditional organizations. Suddenly during the pandemic, that completely shifted. And many organizations, all shapes and sizes, um, we're not prepared for that big shift. And all of a sudden we were, and I think I talked about this a little bit on our last podcast, but all of a sudden companies were, you know, employees were using their own devices to get on Zoom calls and they're using their their local, their home Wi-Fi or, or, you know, traveling all over the place and working from anywhere. And this was at the same time when companies from a from a board level were becoming more aware of what's important from a cybersecurity standpoint to make a company cyber secure mm -hmm. but that awareness didn't necessarily reach like the top three or four board level concerns at all organizations so you have this like awareness factor that was that was brewing prior to the pandemic. And then all of a sudden you have this completely different shift in the way we work and how we use technology. So when the pandemic happened and all of a sudden, you know, so many folks were working from home, a lot of organizations did not have that preparation from a security standpoint, or maybe, you know, the security folks on their team hadn't quite gotten the attention or the budget level prioritizations from their boards to be able to implement security projects that they've been asking about for several years. So we we enter the pandemic, we are working from home, and the threat landscape or the, the um, attack surface for threat actors became very, very broad. And it was a lot easier for hackers to come in and, um, and disrupt the organization's uh, cybersecurity because employees were distracted, the security might not have been as strong and there was just a lot going on at that time. So that is one of the major reasons why we saw such a big shift in claims during the pandemic. Hmm. And it was a bit of a wake up call to, oh my goodness, like we don't need to just look at how, how much data a company has or whether they take credit cards. We need to look at how their networks are structured and we need to look at 
how security touches all aspects of every business. And that's when we started to see this major, major shift in the underwriting process. Now, that shift was multifaceted. We're going to get into some of the demands that the insurance companies were putting on organizations to raise the bar. But part of what we saw also was much higher premiums uh, and much higher deductibles, right? That's right. And my prior experience um, before focusing solely on cyber was in other executive liability lines of insurance. So employment practices, liability, directors and officers, liability, crime insurance, fiduciary liability insurance. And what I always found interesting is that the cost before this market shifted to buy cyber insurance was in many cases so much less than all of these other coverage lines. Yet I felt like a company was more likely to have some sort of cybersecurity event over a 12-month period than they might be to have a different type of you know, management liability event from a, from a claims perspective. So right. why is it that the, the premium was so much less for something that was so much more likely to happen? And now when we're on the other side of this market cycle and the pricing has changed a lot, you'll see, for example, cyber insurance premiums being not too dissimilar from... Um, DNO premiums for publicly traded organizations. So that's been a, a major, major shift as a result of this. Let's talk about the the raising of the bar that insurance companies are doing um, on on potential clients. Uh, the questionnaires are m- much more in depth now. They're asking uh, for a lot more things like uh, good resilience planning, uh, multi factor authentication, and things like that. Those things are still in place. Are there are in the shift that you're seeing now, post COVID? Have you seen a change in that, or is are, are they still being as uh, stringent with their requirements for potential clients? Yeah, it's funny the way you phrase it because yes, they are being quote unquote stringent, but it, I would look at it as it's a responsible approach because. When we were not asking as many questions about cybersecurity risk and, um, you know, making it a lot easier for companies to get cyber insurance than than anybody could really get cyber insurance, regardless of how secure they were. So we really weren't differentiating risk, which is what by default we have to do during an underwriting process. So to answer your question, the the questions and the process that the amount of you know, security you have to show in order to be quote unquote eligible to get cyber insurance, the bar is definitely higher. But I think that's a good thing because it forces the issue of, well, what does it take to not just get insurance, but what does it take to secure our data? What does it take to secure our network? And just like a hurricane or natural disaster coming through and disrupting an organization, if you don't have a plan for security and and technology disruption, your business can be just as poorly impacted from a revenue standpoint as it could be from some physical peril. So asking these questions and having these standards is the responsible thing to do. And it's I'm really happy to see that underwriters are not relaxing on that necessarily at this time. So it's interesting. Um, you said the way I asked the question was interesting. You found it. And so I find the way you answered it was interesting. And it, it what it does is it demonstrates the, the difference of of what we're coming at this issue from. So you're looking at it on the insurance side. I'm looking at uh, at it from the perspective of my customers have to answer all these questions and maybe raise 
their own practices to uh, to to match what the insurance companies are looking for. But you are correct that it is the right thing to do. You do need to do X, Y, and Z when it comes to cybersecurity in order to be uh, insurable. And that just makes sense. I'll put it in this perspective. If we were talking about earthquake insurance, the insurance company wouldn't want my company built on sand somewhere. You would want it to have good footings, good foundations, and to be properly built and following good uh, architectural best practices. And it's the same thing when it comes to cyber. Exactly. And I think to take it a step further, Mark, where where the art here is, and not the science necessarily, is how can we relax on the level of requirements, so to speak, based on size or scope of operations? So we can't ask a Fortune 500 company to have 150 things in place from a security standpoint in order to get cyber insurance and then expect a small restaurant owner to have those same things or same requirements. So I Mm -hmm. think the shift we're going through now in terms of if there's any relaxing in requirements, it's more of a, okay, what can we, what can we be okay with? What's good enough from a security standpoint for smaller organizations, but not sufficient for larger organizations and looking at the impact of a ransomware event for a small business versus a ransomware event to a global operation. So what is the shift then? What are you seeing that's changing? You talked about fast-paced change. What What is it you're seeing? Well, I think um, a couple of things are happening. I mean, number one, in 2022, we were finally seeing a slowing down in the pace of insurance premium increases. So when we talked in September 2021, the, the rates were still in, were still going up. The retentions were still going up. Um, the capacity was challenging to get. And to be honest, it was it was just simply unpredictable. It was hard to know when it would end. We had clients that would ask us in September, hey, should we extend our policies out for six months or should we cancel, rewrite and renew our policy next month? Like, when will this end? And nobody really had an answer for that because cyber risk is not like other risks where you have hundreds and hundreds of years of um, of, of actuarial data that can predict what the next cycle will bring. Right. So when we finally started to see that the premium increases were not going up at a higher rate than they had the preceding month, then there was a lot of chatter about, okay, so do it, have insurance companies gotten enough premium to make up for the losses that they had during the pandemic? And do we need more, more rate changes. And in fact, I think a lot of people in the community were kind of questioning, well, why did it, why did the rate increases last as long as it did? And why did every insurance company push the rate increases? Did they really need that much of an increase? So that kind of came to a head. Um, I think at the end of end of 2022, and then you move into 2023, it's a new year. There are new budgets. There's new growth goals. Um, there is a really, really challenging property insurance market going on right now. And suddenly cyber kind of switched out of the limelight in terms of this need to have these pricing increases and these retention increases. And it quickly shifted to, oh my goodness, let's not lose all this momentum that we built in our book of business. Let's not lose these, these premiums that we gained. We need to, we need to keep our insurance renewals. And we also want to grow our book of business because we've staffed up and invested all of these resources into underwriting cybersecurity. 
So now it's shifted to this growth mode from many of the insurance companies that they're working with, meaning as a buyer of cyber insurance, it feels a lot more like a buyer's market than it does a seller's market. But not necessarily because premiums are lower. They're just not going up as rapidly as they were before. Yes and no. I mean, I would, I'd be lying if I'd say, if I said that we haven't delivered a significant number of um, decreases on insurance premium renewals this year. And it depends. And we also, speaking of the term responsible, we want to be responsible with that approach too. So as a broker, I represent a number of different insurance companies. So if I have two or three quotes and one quote is 40% less than the carrier that my client um, found their policy with last year when times are challenging, I don't necessarily want to move them to the carrier that's 40% less because that could put us back into the situation that we were in a couple of years ago. So it's this dance of how do we, you know, make the premiums make sense for the organization and it, it's a fair result and we're not putting ourselves in um, premium deficiency trouble for future claims paying years. I want to go back to something <clears throat> that we hadn't necessarily planned on talking about, but you've mentioned it a couple of times here, and that's the pandemic. Are you saying that the pandemic is the root cause of the skyrocketing or the surge that we saw in ransomware demands. Uh, I never really connected the increase in ransomware with the pandemic. I, I thought they were two independent events. Uh, are, are you seeing like a direct correlation between those two things? I'd say to some extent, yes. But one thing that's important to note with your question is that ransomware was not the only thing that was happening during that time. And it's definitely not the only risk that we're worried about today. In fact, it's probably not the risk we're worried about today. We're worried about regulatory risk and other privacy issues, which we can talk about in a little bit. But what's what's you have to remember about cybersecurity and technology risk is that it's kind of come, come in layers over the years. So you first you know, had companies that were digitizing their data. So then you had sensitive data that was on a computer that was transferable to different parties. And how do you secure that? So you have this data privacy risk, just kind of the traditional risk we think about when we think about some of those breaches from um, you know, the 2014, 2013 years. So you had that element of risk. And then you layered on this just technology disruption angle, which was going on before the pandemic, where if a reservation system was going down, you know, you suddenly couldn't coordinate um, reservations for airlines or hotels or however that, you know, supply chain needed to function. And then you still had the issue of malware and ransomware brewing before the pandemic, but it was just this other layer on top of all of the other layers of risk that were already happening that just simply got worse during the pandemic. And that was almost like the straw that broke the camel's back in terms of um, claims costing way more than anybody anticipated. And also just the downtime that organizations had from recovering from a ransomware event were so long um, that this preparedness aspect of how to recover if you had a ransomware event just needed to be improved significantly. Yeah, And you told me that a year and a half ago when we met, because I asked if um, something along the lines of the ransom payment was the biggest part of the claim cost. And you said, no, it wasn't. And you called out the things that you just mentioned. And it's uh, it's worth noting on privacy, if there is a data breach, if there is a privacy incident, there's a lot of underlying costs there. Notification costs, a lot of times organizations will offer 
credit monitoring for a number of years. And then you do that for every data subject that was affected. And that number can start to add up plus legal costs and downstream, you know, other liabilities. It, it can really add up. Yeah, there's just a lot of layers to the costs when these things go wrong. And that's what's making it challenging. Ransom payment still gets a lot of attention for me when I go in and talk to clients about cyber. Has the philosophy shifted? Are companies more or less likely to pay ransom than maybe they were a year or two ago? I think generally speaking, the statistics will show that companies are not as likely to jump the gun, so to speak, and pay a ransom um, immediately. And the reason for that is going to come back to this theme of awareness. So because ransomware started to impact small to mid-sized businesses in particular, who perhaps might not have been as educated about the threat or what to do or how to handle or prepare for that situation, now that there is more awareness about ransomware and what happens and how to react and respond um, when a ransomware demand comes up, it it allows organizations to hit the pause button before they react. So that is contributing also to why it is easier in the cyber insurance market right now to procure cyber insurance terms. Um, companies have invested in things like better backup strategies for their data, um, better incident response plans, and practicing what they would do if they had in a ransomware event. Um, and also looking at how they're securing, obviously, their their network, but more specifically their data, where data is mm-hmm. housed, being just aware of their aware of their assets from a technology standpoint so they know what to do and they don't have to get, go into that panic state um, if they are the unfortunate recipient of a ransom demand. No longer being caught off guard, no longer being surprised that, oh my gosh, this happened, and being more intentional about the response. Exactly. When it comes to privacy uh, issues, data breaches, and things like that, have you come across at all companies becoming more, or or certain people and certain organizations becoming more complacent with it? And the, the reason that I'm asking it is, you know, we've all probably gotten, what, five, six, seven letters over the last several years saying, oh, this organization had a breach, our data may have been exposed, here have some free credit monitoring. Are you seeing organizations kind of being like, eh, it happens, and and not caring as much about it? I think that on the organization side, the answer to your question is no. On the personal side, so if I get a letter that says I'm the lucky recipient of another data breach of my data from XYZ company, um, perhaps I might be complacent about it as an individual because I know that my information is unfortunately already out there and I need to do all the basic you know, housekeeping things to try to protect my identity and not have um, issues in, in the aftermath of another company's security event. But the reason why an organization can't necessarily be complacent about a cybersecurity event is that it is just a huge distraction, a lot of work and a big cost if you have to go through all the process of um, notifying different individuals in 50 different ways because of 50 different state laws and different international laws. Yeah. We still, still don't have a federal privacy breach law and we may not have one. So you can't be complacent about it because for lack of a better term, it is, it's just a pain to deal with if 
you end up having to respond to one of those incidents. How are companies reacting to the changes that you're seeing in the cyber insurance market? Do you think there's broad awareness about the shift? I think that there is broad awareness, obviously, once and and the company has gone through the process of trying to procure cyber insurance. Um, Some of the experiences we've had with clients the last couple of months, you know, we wrap up a process and they say, whoa, you know, that, that was it, that, that was it, that, that wasn't so bad. I think everybody was kind of um, on edge thinking that they were going to have to go through another year of just a really cumbersome and stressful process. And it's not like that anymore. But the ironic thing is it's not that the risk is necessarily yet less. In fact, the risk is, you know, even more heightened than it was a couple of years ago, because as I talked about earlier, we have these additional layers of of things that we're looking at that are creating technology and cybersecurity challenges. It's just that people have kind of, I think companies have kind of adjusted to the new way of how, what it takes to procure a cyber insurance policy. And Mm -hmm. we as insurance um, underwriters, brokers, as a community have gotten better about managing the expectations of the clients. We're more confident about it. And I think overall, you know, it's a, it's a much more relaxed feel right now. All right, let's step back. Uh, I'll get you out of here after this question. So what do you think organizations and risk managers specifically can do to continue to prepare their organizations for cyber risk? I think that the same thing that's been important for so many years continues to be important right now, and that is education. Hmm. So it shouldn't be about, just getting insurance, right? So you don't want to go through all of these um, improvements to your cybersecurity program just so you can renew your insurance policy. Now that insurance is a little bit easier to get, let's go back to the basics and start to focus again on awareness about risk, education about what's coming, um, making sure your organization continues to uphold that uh, culture of cybersecurity where everybody's aware and hypervigilant about things that you know, they shouldn't click on and attachments that they shouldn't open. Um, Just keeping your ear to the ground is really important. And that's why I'm so, you know, passionate about talking about this topic with as many people as as can listen, because the more we're aware, the more we educate ourselves, um, the more it just becomes easier to uh, tackle some of these issues collectively. And that's why I like having you on the podcast, because you are passionate about it. And you alluded to something there, uh, in your answer, which kind of leads me to my follow-up, what new threats are on the horizon when it comes to cyber that we should be aware of? Have you ever used chat GPT? I have tried it, yes. <laughs> hmm. I'm laughing a little bit because we're not at the point where questions about artificial intelligence and chat GPT are making their way onto insurance applications, but we know that that issue is... Um, going to surface before too long. And we don't know what that means. There's a lot of speculation about what artificial intelligence will bring to the risk and litigation landscape in terms of corporate liability. But that's a big thing that's coming um, that is an interesting topic to pay attention to, but also could be a topic that becomes a challenging underwriting topic to, to muddle through in the coming years. So that's one thing. Um, the other thing that's important to highlight is that even though, you know, from a from a buyer's perspective, it may be easier to get cyber insurance from an insurance company's perspective. It's not necessarily easier to offer it because we have to consider things like 
cyber warfare, um, systemic Mm. risk, something that could happen that could go wrong in one piece of technology or one application that could impact all organizations. And those are the really, really challenging things that have no precedent of risk that really from a a large impact standpoint that underwriters have to look at and think, okay, if we're going to offer this insurance product, how do we, how do we keep ourselves out of um, a situation where we've offered a cyber insurance to a policyholder and every single policyholder has the exact same problem on the exact same day from a single um, a single bad piece of software, a single cyber attack. Like those are really, really hard problems for insurance companies to tackle. And being aware that that conversation is out there as an insurance buyer is important because it helps you understand why insurance companies have to ask the underwriting questions the way that they do right now. Caitlin, it's always a pleasure. You're always special to me. You were the first guest ever. (laughs) And so it's lovely to have you back. Uh, Best way for people to connect with you is still LinkedIn? Yes. Yes, absolutely. And thank you so much again for having me. This has been really fun. It, It is fun. And thanks for coming. I appreciate you being here. Absolutely. I want to thank Caitlin Upchurch for being my guest on this week's episode. Really interesting to see a shift in cyber insurance, and it seems like that pendulum is swinging in smaller circles these days. Also want to thank the Resilience Think Tank for sponsoring the podcast. And we have some really interesting guests coming up and a really diverse set of topics. So join us, won't you, as we continue our resilient journey.